Well, good morning. Um, I got to tell you, it's nothing like that song that makes me wish I could actually sing, because um, I would love to just belt it out. But uh, I, if I did, you guys would already be leaving the building. Um, hey, uh, just check, right? I'm on this morning. Check, check. You guys can hear me. Uh, if, if you were here last week, you know that I had some technical difficulties. If you can count not turning the microphone on as a technical difficulty. Um, but because of that, we're going totally old school. No iPad. I've got an actual Bible. I have paper notes and a whiteboard. <laughs> if we were really going old school, it would be a blackboard. But I couldn't get one. I couldn't get one up here. So, hey, um, if uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jim Taylor. Um, I'm one of the guys on staff here, uh, and I would love to connect with you either after service in the lobby. Um, to just talk with you a little bit. Man, if you want to know a little bit more about Calvary Church, I'd love to go out for coffee with you. Um, one, because I'd love to get to know you, but two, because any reason to go for coffee is a good reason to go, for, you know. Um, and I just want to say, just, I just love serving here at Calvary Church, and it is such a privilege to be a part of the staff, to be a part of the body. And just last week and this week were just like two um, of my favorite weeks. Uh, out of the year, uh, and that is last week we were able to celebrate with four families as they dedicated their kids to the Lord, and then uh, today, you might be wondering why there's a giant pool up here. Today, we get to celebrate uh, and be a part uh, of, uh, of a faith journey for 10 people um, as they declare their faith in the Lord through baptism, um, so that is, uh, that is pretty exciting. God is, is good and he is so good to Calvary Church. Um, and for me this morning, it's a privilege to be able to just be up here uh, and open God's word up with you to see what he has for us today. So if you uh, would, if you guys would pray for me as we get started. Um, Father God, Lord, we just thank you for setting this time aside for us this morning to be able to be here with you, to be able to be focused on you, Lord. So I just ask that um, wherever we're coming from, whatever craziness we had yesterday or even this morning as we were trying to get out the door, Lord, that you would just have that fall away from us, that you would give us um, ears to hear what you have for us, Lord, and um, a mind to understand it and, and a heart to accept it. Uh, and Lord, I just, uh, just turn myself over to you. I don't want um, this morning to be my words, but yours. And so whatever Whatever you have from your word for us, I pray that we would hear it, and that whatever you do not want us to hear, Lord, it would fall away. Um, and as only you can, that you would speak to each one of us individually where, where we are. Um, so we just invite you into this place, Lord. We invite you um, to be with us. We want to be in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so as I was preparing over the last couple of weeks, um, I had a friend give me some advice. And he said, whatever you do, make sure you keep it short. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's going to be what it's going to be. But I actually did, OK, for you, and you know who you are, I actually trimmed like five to eight minutes of, of stories off just for you to make it as short as possible. Um, so last week, uh, Rich did a great job. He took us through Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, um, which talked about the preeminence of Jesus, right? That Christ is enough, that he alone is supreme and sufficient. 
It almost, leads, it almost reads as though those verses 15 through 19, like a resume for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And I just picture myself, like if I was Paul and I was trying to explain this to the Colossian church, the Colossians as to who Jesus was and what he did and how important he is, I feel like I would just get to the point where words could just not be enough. Like there was just not words to describe it. I would just be like, Jesus is Jesus. There's no other way to say it. There's no one else like him. He's just Jesus. Well, we're going to be going through verses 20 through 23 today. But before we get there, we're going to take a look at why we need Jesus to be all of those things. Why Paul is telling the Colossians about Jesus. So we're going to go to the whiteboard here. I'm a little nervous because I'm not very good at drawing. So we're going to see how things go here. Um, all right, so here's where we're at. God, right, always was, always will be, is above everything. God just was. And um, God created us to engage in this life-giving relationship with him, where God is pouring into us and giving us life, and we, in turn, are worshiping God back. Um, uh, and this comes to us individually, all right, but we also do it with others, all right? We are designed, oh, I want their hands to hold here. We are designed for relationships, to be in, in community, right? So as it comes down to us, we are pulling it, pulling it out to others, all right? But God also, here's where the drawing's going to get a little rough, but... Right? God created everything. Come on, that looks pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> and God, God put us over creation. God put us over creation to care for it, to, to tend to it. Um, in God's kingdom economy, we... Are in God's kingdom, we are his economy, our relationship with him, as it comes into us and goes out and down and cares over the world. And what this is, this is a picture of how life is meant to be. Okay, the Hebrew word for it would be shalom, meaning uh, peace or harmony or wholeness or completeness, tranquility. It is good. But then, problem is, Sin comes in, and it ruins this relationship right here. And it breaks down the whole thing. This relationship breaks down, and then it breaks down the entire economy. All of creation, things on earth or things in heaven, have been brought now into conflict with the creator because of sin. Harmony now becomes blame. Peace becomes shame. Tending becomes toilsome labor. Shalom becomes mahaloket, which means strife or division or conflict. And that is why we need Jesus to be all that he is. All right, so here we go. Let's get into this morning's text. Um, if you have your Bibles um, or devices, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, and it'll be up on the screen here as well. 
And we're just going to read through it right now. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, we're just going to walk through these verses today. We're going to start with verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And through him, that him is Christ, okay? Just as all things were created through him, all things must be reconciled through him. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So through him, Jesus, to reconcile. So what do you think that, that word reconcile means? Like, what do you picture when you hear that word? So the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is like accounting, right? Or like reconciling the books or, or balancing the books. Or maybe paying off a debt, reconciling a debt. Maybe you think of relationships, a relationship that was, was broken and you're able to patch things up, you're able to reconcile that relationship. The meaning here in this verse is so much more than that. If you go back into the original Greek, what it means is to restore harmony or make peace. So through him, Jesus, God is restoring harmony and making peace. So what? is he reconciling? What is this harmony and this peace coming to? Well, it tells us right there, it's all things. And what does Paul mean by all things? All right, once again, if we kind of go back to the original Greek and we look it up, all and all things here can actually mean two, two things. Um, one is all things meaning without distinction, right? So he's reconciling people without distinction. So Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter which one you are, he's still doing that without distinction. The other thing is all just simply means all. It means everything. But if we kind of take a look and apply a consistent interpretation from this entire passage, all right, where God is going through from uh, verses 15 on, right, uh, it says what all things are. So what is the scope, based on these passages, what is the scope of all things? It is everything that was created. It is all things in heaven, all things on earth, all, all things visible, all things invisible, all thrones, all dominions, all rulers, all authorities. All things. Um, so this is where um, things can get a little bit slippery as we look at all things, right? This passage, specifically the phrase, all things, is taken by some um, to mean that all things will eventually receive forgiveness and salvation in order to be reconciled. And I think that could lead to a, a little bit of confusion. And, and while I understand, right, the phrase is all things, um, if you don't look at the idea of reconciliation or the process, you can't fully understand the meaning of all things. So this passage tells us that Jesus will reconcile all things to himself. All things will be under Christ's authority. But there's two options to be under his authority. 
The first option is by the blood of the cross, the forgiveness that God offers and that Jesus provides. Jesus first came as a servant to lay his life down so that we can be reconciled to God. But as we just went through Revelations, we know there's another option that's going to happen because Jesus will come as a conquering king. And for those that are not reconciled by grace through faith, they will be reconciled by their own destruction. But in the end, all things, all of this will be restored to harmony. All things will be reconciled under Jesus. Um, now, we actually, we probably could spend an entire message just on that verse, because there's a lot more we can get into, but we kind of have to keep moving to get us to where I think Paul is taking us. Um, so Paul, in these first verses, is laying out the, that big global picture. But then he gets personal with the Colossians and personal with us in verse 21. And he says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So the Colossians and us, we were alienated or separated from God. Okay, We were hostile in mind, which means we, we lacked the knowledge of God and opposed him. And our evil behavior went against God. Now, Paul's not pointing a finger at them, like saying, ah, oh, look at what you were, look at what you did. He's just reminding them where they once were, just as Paul himself was once. It's also a reminder that no one comes into this relationship with God from a place of good. We're all separated from him. And it also uh, lets us know that there's nothing in our past that can prevent us from receiving the love and forgiveness of Jesus. I've heard so many people say, how could God love me? How could God forgive me after what I have done? All right, it doesn't matter who you were or where, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter who we are, where we have come from, or what we have done. There's nothing that can separate us from God. So even just look at Paul, the guy that's writing this letter, look where he came from. I mean, look at, you know, he was like the chief Christian persecutor of his time, but yet God saved him. So what Paul is saying here is that this is who you were to the Colossians. And, and to us, this is who you were. This is the past. But this is who you are, the present. Verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this idea of reconciling, of paying off debt, So the things that we do against God are sin. That's like tallying up our, our debt, right? Things we do against God are sin. Uh, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin, the penalty, the price that must be paid for sin is death. And that unless we pay that debt off, we're going to need to pay the penalty. So um, almost 30 years ago now, um, you know, uh, I, I was working kind of through my relationship with God. And I came from a place of works uh, where, um, you know, I went to church, I kind of knew about God, um, did not have a relationship with him. But, but the interaction we did have came from a place of works. I would do something wrong, and I feel I would need something 
uh, to do something good to kind of make up for it. Or if I did something wrong, something was going to happen to me. Oftentimes, I thought as a kid when I didn't feel good, I was like, oh, what did I do wrong? Like, what, what am I being punished for? And so there's this idea of doing something wrong, doing something good, doing something wrong, doing something good. Well, when I turned 16 and got my first job, uh, my first boss I ever had kind of straightened me out. Because it's not, I thought it was do something wrong, do something good. No, he straightened me out. He said, no, it takes seven data boys to make up for one oops. So I'm like, I was like, wow, this is much harder than what I actually thought it was going to be. Um, but I was so grateful for this church and uh, for my wife and finding it and just dragging me here, kicking and screaming. Um, uh, God just used Calvary and the staff and the people here to, to just draw me to himself. And, and one of the people he used was Pastor Dave McIntyre. And uh, at, a, at a point as I was trying to figure out this whole God thing, as I was trying to figure out and, and make sense of all my whole past and what I knew of doing things to, to make up, doing things to achieve, doing things to earn, um, we were in, I don't remember what the series was and whatnot. I really just write one, one thing about it, but it's stuck with me now for for 30 years, he was talking about um, the Old Testament system of animal sacrifices to making up for sins. And he kind of put himself in the place. He said, I think if, if I had to do that and picture myself there, I'd picture myself with my animal sacrifice kind of in line, waiting my turn, get up to the priest, give him my sacrifice, the sacrifice is made, all right, I'm good to go. And he said, I feel like as soon as I would step out of line, I would need to find another animal and get at the back of the line again. And it's just this constant cycle. Have you ever felt that way where you're just in this constant cycle of trying to make up and for the things that you have done? It's impossible. I was caught in it, but thankfully God set me straight. Right? Because God so God loved us so much, John 3:16, that he sent Jesus to reconcile our debt of death. Jesus had to be the one living a perfect, sinless life but accepting our sin and paying the price for us, receiving what we deserve so that we can receive what he deserved. Well, how did this happen? This verse tells us right here, by his death, the sacrifice of his body for us. And, and this idea that the body here is literal. It is a physical body of Christ while he was on earth because there is no reconciliation without the bodily death of Christ. He had to suffer in his human form for us. So why did he do this? Why did he suffer for us? In his death, Jesus reconciled us so that we, as this verse tells us, can be presented holy. Jesus presents us positionally perfect before God through his death. Our status before God will be eternal, infallible, and unchangeable. The word holy means set apart. And Jesus sets us apart unto God as uniquely his. Sin had separated us from God, but now Jesus sets us apart for God. He did this so that we would be blameless. Jesus will present us blameless, which means without blemish or without spot, perfect. And this is a, a spiritual privilege that is... Uh, more than a mere one-time get-out-of-jail-free card. God will never bring any sin against us because Christ fully and adequately paid for them all. And then he makes us and presents us above repro reproach before him. 
Above reproach is a legal term meaning unaccused and therefore free from all charges. And even though we may deserve blame, Christ's death made our status before God undeserving of blame. So it's at the moment of trusting Christ to forgive us. Our status and standing before God stands perfect before him. The old is gone and the new has come. The perfect work of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace. At the point of salvation, we become automatically and instantaneously free from accusation. We are positionally holy without blame or charge before God forever. At the moment, we come to trust Christ as our Savior. God puts to our account, our account filled with debts, he puts to our account against our debt all the exhaustless wealth of Jesus and reconciles our debt. Now, just in the beginning of this letter, Paul is doing so much here. He's using who Jesus is, as he tells us who Jesus is. He's using, using the Colossians' past and our past and the Colossians' present and our present to set a trajectory for our future. And just like an archer kind of pulling back a string on a bow and then letting go of it, I think it, with this next word at the beginning of this next verse, Paul releases us into our future. And that's verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, out of which I, Paul, became a minister. If is a conditional word, right? We all, we all use it. I wanted to do a Google search and have time as to how often maybe the word if is used. As a parent, I could tell you I use this word. I use this word like it was a superhero. Kids are arguing in the back of the car. It's like, dun dun dun, dun Captain If is here. If you don't be quiet back there, I'm going to turn this car around. If you don't clean your room, you are not going to get dessert. If you don't finish your homework, you are not going out this weekend. If, 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 if. Could you imagine, I mean, like how many of you have really turned the car around? Could you imagine the, the look on your kid's face if all of a sudden you turned the car around? I've done it a couple times, and let me tell you, it is shocking when the if actually happens. The if is conditional. And as we uh, read this verse, it seems that the if is saying our reconciliation to God is conditional, that we are reconciled if. The if is conditional, but I believe it's the direction of the if that matters, okay? The if is not a work statement. It is not if indeed you do these things, you stay reconciled, but more so it is if you are reconciled, these things will happen. If you are reconciled, this is what you can expect. And what are those things? That we would continue in our faith, that we would be stable, that we would be steadfast, that we would not be shifting from the hope of the gospel. If I was going to be like, okay, how do you like summarize those four things up? What does it mean to me as I apply it to my life? It is, it, what that's saying is that focus on Jesus and let him into every aspect of your life. Focus on Jesus and let him into every aspect of his life. Let him be the foundation for which you build your life upon. Now, in this statement, Paul's not doubting the Colossians uh, with the if, but he is actually encouraging them to be grounded and steadfast in their faith. And as these things are lived out 
in the lives of the Colossians, and as we live them out in our lives, ministry begins and the gospel is spread. Our if is the beginning of our ministry. Just as Paul was called to ministry through reconciliation, we are also called. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says, And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love how that ends with that is like the reminder as to why. Right? This is why you can do these things. This is why this is going to happen. As we live out a reconciled life, we start the ministry of reconciliation with God making his appeal to others through our changed lives. Now, you might be asking, how are we supposed to do this? All right, well, the simple answer, right? The Sunday school answer, we're asking this in a Sunday school class, right? You know, you ask the question, God, Bible, Jesus, right? Like, oh, wait, Holy Spirit. Yes, that's another one. The simple answer is through the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us the ability to do what he calls us to. We're not doing it on our own. God gives us the ability. But let's take a look at a very practical example here. Let's take a look at Paul in Acts 9. So in Acts 9, Paul, who was Saul, is an enemy of the church. He's an enemy of God. He's an enemy of Jesus. But on the road to Damascus, Paul has an experience. He has an encounter with the living God. And he is changed. He is converted. He is reconciled. From the encounter, he's sent off blind to a house in Damascus for three days. At the end of the three days, the Lord sends, sends Ananias to restore his sight and for Paul to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a look at verse 18. Here's what happens when, when he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell, fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. All right, so now Paul was in this house for three days. He has not had anything to eat or anything to drink for three days, okay? But the first thing he does is not to replenish himself. The first thing he does is he gets baptized. The Bible says to repent and believe and be baptized. I think that baptism is such a gift from God, right? He gives us this way to declare who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us, without us even saying a word. It can be the beginning of our ministry of reconciliation as just a simple act of obedience points people to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Um, and if you are actually getting baptized this morning, now is your time. You are dismissed, kind of head out. You're going to head upstairs if you need to finish getting changed. If not, we're meeting over here on the left-hand side. Um, and if the worship team, you want to start making your way up, that would be amazing as well. So as they're heading out, uh, there's actually 10 of them. We have 10 people in just a few minutes this morning who are going to get baptized. And as I had the opportunity to speak with them as we did some videos, um, the reason for getting baptized is very similar in all of their stories. 
First, they want to be obedient to God and the call that God has in their life. Um, and secondly, they want people to know that they have been saved, that they're reconciled with God through the sacrifice of Jesus, and they want to be able to live their lives for him. And they want to declare that. They want people to know that, hey, there's a, there was a past, and it's gone. And there's something new, and here I am. They want people to know that they are a Christian. Well, if we stay in Acts um, 9, what did Paul do next after he got baptized? We only need to go two verses down to see what he did. did. And uh, verse 20 tells us, he immediately proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. What did he do? He told this story. How could he not? How could he not share what happened to him, who he was and who he is now? He shared and told his story and proclaimed Jesus as his Lord. Now, through all of this, Paul teaches us that the present and future work of the church, who's the church? We are. It's not the building, right? We are the church. The present and future work of the church is to continue this ministry, that as the world is confronted with the reconciling work of Christ, it causes others to take part in the reconciliation, in the reconciliation, or otherwise, if they don't take part, they reject it. God is making his appeal through us for the peace which the cross has provided. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So heading out, two practical steps. Two practical steps. You might not want to hear them. I don't know. We'll see. Two practical steps. First one, if you have experienced reconciliation through Christ, if you have that relationship, if your past is your past and your present is now with Jesus and you have not been baptized, I challenge you to get baptized. It really is a very simple thing to show your faith, to show your belief, to show that you've been forgiven. If you don't want to do video, you don't have to do a video. We're not going to make you do a video. If you don't want to do it like right here in front of everybody, you want to do it with your family somewhere, man, we'll, we'll make that happen. But think about it. God gives us this to do immediately as we come to faith. It doesn't do anything special in that, that that already took place. That's why they're here, right? There's nothing special that happens, but there is something special that happens in a way, right? When people are being obedient to, to God, he is glorified. He's honored. When people are proclaiming who he is, that, that is special. And think about it. If you're able to come and do that, this how much easier will it be for you to share who Jesus is in your workplace or at school? I mean, think about that. It, it, it's like our first step. All right, here's your second thing. All right. Um, tell your story of reconciliation. Tell your God story of how God changed your life, how he saved you. You know, when I, was, uh, when I first came to faith and um, saved, I, I don't think I could tell it enough. Man, there was, I was so excited. I just wanted to share it. I, I was actually probably like one of those annoying people where people were like, okay, like, like, stop it. We don't want to hear it anymore. But you want to know what I'm thinking about it lately? 
I don't know when I shared it the last time with someone. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate things and we're like, you know, oh, I need to learn 100 Bible verses before I can share with my coworker. Or oh, I really need to be, you know, like doing the things I should be doing before I start to tell my friends about God. We overcomplicate things. You don't have to grab a Bible verse at first. Share your story, okay? Your story of reconciliation is going to point other people to their reconciliation, point other people to Jesus. And then I would just say, hey, if, if you were like me almost 30 years ago and you're still trying to figure this, this God thing out, um, here, I would, here's what I would do. You know, this is what I did. Ask questions. Don't, don't be afraid to talk to somebody. Our prayer team is going to be over on the right after service. Come over and talk to them. Talk to somebody else. There's, there'll be some elders in the lobby to a friend. Ask, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. There's no bad question to try to figure things out. The, the other thing is try to learn a little bit for yourself. If you really want to know, I would challenge you to read the Gospel of John. And before you do it, just very simply, just say, hey, God, just reveal yourself to me. It doesn't have to be this big, complicated. Just ask God to help me understand what, what you're trying to, to say here. And if you don't have a Bible, um, you are welcome to grab one. They're on our info center out in the lobby. Grab one on your way out and read that Gospel of John. Um, I'm going to try to be out in the lobby. would love to connect with you, or you can connect and talk with somebody. But don't leave without talking to somebody if you're still trying to figure all of that out. All right, um, let's pray. God, I just thank you. Um, for today, this opportunity, Lord, I just thank you um, for who you are and the love that you have for us and, and for Jesus and the work of reconciliation and, and the fact that you want us to be reconciled to you first by your forgiveness, Lord. And I just pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts and our minds and, um, Lord, that we would just come out of this with, with some step forward whether that be a step forward in getting to know you more, understand more about you. Maybe that step forward would be, be getting baptized. Um, and maybe that step forward would be sharing our story with a friend or a coworker. Um, all of that, Lord, not to do on our own or through our own power, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you provide. And Lord, we just thank you. Um, we just uh, ask your blessing um, on your word, Lord, that as it goes out, um, it will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.